0: got a little over 10 minutes left. We're going to move to a panel discussion. Uh, We've we'll been monitoring some of the questions coming in, and I'm going to pose and direct them to our panel members. So firstly, um, Zimkita, if I could go to you, how does one deal with imposter syndrome that stands in the way of women achieving their best ambitions?
1: Uh, Clive, I'm going to give the same answer as, as, as my solution. We need to invest. I mean, um, when I talk to, to young people around the imposter syndrome, is I always say to them, it's important for you to make sure that you've invested in your own uh, talents. You have to find out what is it that is making you uh, feel like you don't belong, because that's, that's, what, that's what the issue is. We feel like we don't belong in those spaces. Is it a matter of uh, you can't speak uh, in meetings? If that's the case, you actually spend time over the weekends and practice. You practice speaking. You listen to podcasts when you go to work. You do practical things that, uh, that, so, so that you actually are ready and you invest, you take control of your own career and invest in your career. And, and the people who actually have, uh, have come to me and asked me these questions around imposter syndrome, they come back to me and say, I didn't know that actually everything was in my hands. So if your issue is an IFRS statement you don't understand, you go on Google and you Google the statement and you listen to the podcast when you go to work. And when you come back from work, you listen to the podcast. What are the key issues? And then you practice presenting that to the client. You practice, practice, and practice. Everything we need for our success is in our hands. I am proof of that, right? Everything you need in order to succeed is available to you. You have to go and get it. And that is what I always say. Because the moment you rely on other people, then you're giving them power over you. The first thing you must always do, invest in your success. That is the best investment you can ever make.
0: Thanks, Invita. I was actually just recalling a personal experience of mine. I remember going to a women's business club event here in Zurich, where I, where I live. There was about 100 women and I was the only male. And I, what impressed me the most was the number of women who approached me to make me feel comfortable in that environment. And frankly, I don't think in an all male environment, there's many men who would approach the single woman in that meeting to make her feel comfortable. So food for thought, it was a very positive experience for me. So looking at the questions again that are coming in, I'm gonna go to Ainsley now. how do we break the perception that women who succeed in the corporate space must give up their family life for the career? Which, in contrast, you know, men men don't have this challenge. Men men, men can do both.
1: Mm,
2: well, it's a good question, Clive. I mean, this sense of obligation that you can only have a career at the expense of your family life. Well, I think it's a myth, to be honest. Um, and you know. It's, to that, to that point about taking control of your own destiny if you let it, if you work those, those ridiculous, ridiculous hours, hours um, if, if you, you don't, don't put, put your own, own boundaries, boundaries around you, then, then, yes, it will be at the expense of your family life for men or for women um but you know it it does seem to be a traditional stereotype of women being at home or men go out to work at the breadwinner and that's the stereotype we really need to smash
1: and Mm -hmm. to get rid of um the the effect of it's crippling because
2: for for women in particular because it creates this kind of terrible scenario where you feel like you're choosing between guilt between children and your careers and it creates this intense kind of guilt and this I guess stigma as well that women who do have a successful careers are somehow cold or uncaring, which couldn't be further from the truth than in my own personal lived experience and observations working with some incredible women who are also mothers. And the stereotypes generally, they're just unfair for everyone, unfair for men, unfair for women. Because and if, if you look, look at the flip side, for example, it, it relies, relies on a view th- that, you know, men are not able to parent or parent well, which is really a terrible myth as well. So it speaks exactly to that point that I was saying earlier about encouraging more men to feel more confident about being a hands-on parent. And when we have more men stepping confidently into their role as a caregiver, and then they do it in a way that's loud and proud at work, so other men can see it and they role model it, then other particularly young junior men can see it's okay for them to do the same. When they have children and that will then break down those myths and those stereotypes that hold back women but also men back from their families and then finally i'd say kind of as senior leaders male and women we should not hide our family commitments so be open that you're going to a sports kind of where i always am i'm very open with my team and people around me, the people on my floor, very proudly say, I'm going to a sports carnival, or, I'm going to watch Prize Day, or um, I need to work from home because my child is sick that day. And I also try very hard not to normalise working hard. Um, I often quote, uh, I think it was President Eisenhower, who um, very strictly worked strict eight-hour days. Um, he was very uh, conscious of his time that he spent, he, and he was very strong about the fact that as a human being he needed to have as much time to do his exercise to be with his family and that giving a full eight hours day where you're fully present to the you know to to the US to the country was sufficient and of course you know there's always times where you have urgent matters and things like that but I just I try and remember that for myself as well that you know, eight hours a day is a significant amount of time to invest in your work. So don't normalise 12, 14-hour days. It's really just simply not necessary. Um, and, of course, you know, also manage those cycles so that when you do have a time where you do have an urgent matter or you've got, you know, it's audit period, for example, where we all know that that is, a, you know, a tough time, then also normalise the lulls. So take advantage of the lulls that you have um, in the cyclical nature of your work and be vocal about what you're doing with that time, i.e. that you're investing it in with your family, that you're actually administering self-care, going for a massage, going for a run, going for a walk, being out in the sunshine, whatever it might be. Because I really do believe the more vocal you are about that, um, then, you know, the more a successful career will seem not to be at the detriment of having a great family life. Thanks, Clive. Thanks.
0: Thanks, easily i'm conscious that we've got more questions than time so i'm trying to work my way through this maybe a question for sarah i'm conscious that her internet might not hold up in which case i'd ask rosanne to step in but sarah question came in how do you ask for a pay rise when you know you're about to go off on maternity leave even though you know you're underpaid underpaid compared to the market?
3: That's almost an impossible question to answer, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not somebody who can give um, kind of coaching advice, but I think if I listen to what the research said and if I listen to the stories that were told to us, there were people that had conversations with their superiors about their responsibilities and their roles and what their level of um, remuneration would be coming back. Um, and there were ways in which they had those conversations where they were able to work towards increasing their remuneration in order to allow them to be able to drop their hours slightly. So I don't know how, you know, how do you approach that conversation? Maybe you talk about the responsibilities that you have. Maybe you talk about um, the commitment and what you've achieved and what you can bring to the career when you come back um, and how that will help to um you a focus and stuff like that i mean i think it's just you know it's an individual conversation but what it boils down to is what came out top of the poll uh, or top of the study supportive line managers you need a line manager who recognizes um your value recognizes your contribution and, and enables you to facilitate Going on uh, maternity leave, going on parental leave, but still being able to think about your career and what that means for you and coming back. And it's a line manager who needs to be that champion for you. They need to recognize. And it's not like when I was disappointed, well, I, see, I suppose where flexible working came out as one of the biggest barriers, yes, flexible working is key, but it takes the line manager to make sure that that flexible working is implemented and used and encouraged and um, put into action. So whilst those policies need to be there, it is always the line manager. You know, If you've got a line manager that understands and is supportive, you don't think twice about saying, sorry, excuse me, I've got to go and do this today. You know, I'll, I'll make it up later or I'll sort that out. And it's fine, but if you know you've got a line manager who doesn't understand, who doesn't have that recognition or who always puts somebody else ahead of you, being able to say something is complicated, difficult and potentially more stressful, puts that barrier and stops you asking for the support that you need. So um, so I think it, it, it just comes down to educating and getting good line managers on board and having those conversations, being able to have difficult conversations is what a line manager should do. So training.
0: Absolutely. Thanks very much, Sarah. Um, three minutes. I'm going to try and squeeze in one more question before we, we wrap. I'm going to go to you, Joe, Um, we've touched a number of times on the importance of a sponsor line manager. Um, what are your observations on male or female sponsors? What's, 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 what's working well? What are some of the challenges?
4: Um, yeah, it's a good question, Clive. I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, that women are over mentored and under sponsored I think mentoring um, plays a plays a really important role in in supporting and building confidence um, in early careers for women. Um, but sponsorship is is action oriented. I think mentoring can sometimes be quite passive, um, in terms of providing advice and support. When we talk about sponsorship, we're talking about actively elevating women into leadership positions, and having the onus on the sponsor to take accountability for that and i think that's underdone and i think more men should be should be doing this when we say there are men are overrepresented in positions of leadership across our economies um we should be asking more men to be sponsoring women with accountability to um to elevate them into positions it's i think it's too passive and too easy to say Um, we're doing mentoring and I'm having a monthly catch-up and I'm having a coffee, is that having an impact? Actually, let's get real, let's get action-oriented and let's get accountable around around sponsorship. That's what's going to really make a shift.
0: Thanks very much, Joe. Well, unfortunately, we're in the last minute. Um, That's all we've got time for today. But please don't forget to download a summary of the study's findings via the QR code on the screen or by heading to Chartered Accountants' Worldwide website. Lastly, I want to say a huge thank you to all our speakers today, and thank you to our partners at Big Talk Multimedia and A1 for bringing this event to life. See you the next time, everyone. Bye for now.